Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance in St. Paul, Minnesota. And we're recording on a Friday, so I feel a little, I don't know, a little little ambitious. No, that's not the word I was looking for. Ambunctious? Um, (laughs) Rambunctious? Rambunctious is the word I was looking for. That laugh you heard was Sean. Uh, Welcome back, Sean. All right. Good to be back. Sean Gonsalves, the most mispronounced name at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance, our, our communications team lead. Um, we also have Rye, who keeps himself muted when he's laughing. Uh, Rye Marcatilio McCracken, our research team lead. Welcome to the show, Rye. I've never been happier to be here, Chris. <laughs> All right. Rye has new pharmaceuticals. <laughs> so um, <laughs> We're talking about a kind of a grab bag of interesting things that are going on. And Sean, you're going to kick us off, I think, with um, some exciting news you wrote about in um, the state of the big city. Yeah, the big apple, the, the, the state of the big apple. Um, so they passed uh, their budget bill for 2023. And a couple of weeks ago, we were a little concerned because there was language in the bill that seemed to indicate that the big telecom lobby had gotten to a lot of lawmakers. And there was language in there that appeared as if they were trying to squeeze out municipal broadband proposals and projects from as, as this cascade of money is coming from the federal government in the, in the states. But um, the budget thankfully was amended and the bill looks pretty good. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it looks pretty darn good. Yeah. Uh, it's $220 billion, um, which is uh, um, not all for broadband, not all for broadband. Exactly. Not all for broadband, but a billion of it is um, for broadband, which is a, a significant amount, in, you know, in comparison to some, some other States for sure. Um, right. Governor Hochul advanced the connect all uh, initiative, which I know we've talked about in other contexts. I don't remember if we've talked about it on the old broadband bits, but um, it includes several different proposals that are pretty cool. But the one that we're most excited about is a few things, but the municipal grant program was established. <laughs> yeah. That's the one. I mean, there's right, other right. stuff that's cool, but like, that's right, 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 right. That That's the big one. So, um, so there's a municipal grant program that they've established with this uh, bill not all $1 billion that's going to the Connect All initiative will go to that, I'm sure, but the amount that will be in the municipal, municipal grant program hasn't yet been determined. But certainly the big takeaway is that there's that provision and a few other provisions in the bill that create this municipal broadband ecosystem really in, in, in the state of New York, which is a major victory for community broadband. Tell me more about this ecosystem. <laughs> Without going too far into what paragraph and what part and all that, that can get a little bit confusing, especially the way they name it. They have like part MMM and part JJ and FFF and all of this kind of stuff. But um, one of the things that the bill does is not only does it establish a municipal grant program, but it also gives permanent authority to the New York Power Authority to enter into lease agreements with municipalities and nonprofits, et cetera, to use their excess fiber capacity to build out fiber infrastructure. So that is very cool, especially since they've got 1400 miles of transmission lines uh, with fiber running along most of those pathways. And what it really does, when you think about it, practically speaking, talking to folks on the ground over there is you've got the, uh, the dank, which is, I, I, I like that. Um, you had to say it. Yeah. The dank, <laughs> the, dank. The, uh, the development authority of North County. And then there's also the Southern tier network, which are nonprofit backhaul providers. But what this provision in the state budget allows for 
is for those two backhaul providers to interconnect and essentially create this just about a statewide middle mile network, which of course, if you're a municipality anywhere close to that region, it means lots of savings in terms of building last mile fiber networks. Yeah. And that's um, important for a number of reasons, but one is the ability of uh, cities, uh, others that would like to make investments to move quickly because that fiber is out there and now they're making it available. That's pretty cool. You know, we've talked less about some of the things that uh, that have also been done, um, but if people want, they can check out your story. It's on muninetworks.org. They can just check out, uh, you know what the title of it is offhand? New York See? State Budget Bill Sets Table for Municipal Broadband. Man, how, there you well, go. that's a great title, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's so good. You, you remembered it. <laughs> <laughs> So we are we are moving a little bit quickly today through a couple of different topics, uh, but I just I mean like that makes New York one of the coolest states, right? I mean like you know Vermont has almost entirely embraced municipal broadband as like its sole strategy, which is really cool. Um, New York has like this cachet; it's it's New York, and uh, for them to be putting so much money to municipal broadband, enabling these different business models, um, removing an unnecessary fee. Uh, this is going to be a positive podcast. We're not going to talk about the states that aren't getting it right. <laughs> Now I want to I want to highlight a story that Rye had done. Um, this is one that I thought was was really great. Rye, uh, why do you hate uh, the for-profit companies? <laughs> uh, that's a great question, Chris. Uh, I don't have a good answer for you there. So I threw up a story this week about the uh, announcement by Comcast in January that uh, it was going to expand its stock buyback program for 2022 to 10 billion dollars. And we kind of uh, use it as a, a time to remind, uh, you know, people working in local government uh, and doing this kind of community-driven broadband uh, infrastructure work, especially over the next few years, that like uh, Comcast, these monopoly ISPs, they're built and designed to return profits to shareholders and increase their market value and expand their stake in the marketplace and not necessarily to uh, build the most cost-efficient networks uh, all around the country. So it's a good reminder when we're talking about all this public money that's floating out there um, and what people should do with it. Yeah. And I, you know, I think it's worth noting, um, I sort of, I, I specifically set it up in a way that I feel like I'm always annoyed when people set it up talking to me. Um, we don't have a problem with for-profit companies. We work with a lot of for-profit companies. I have mad respect for um, a lot of local companies that are that are fighting it out and doing a good job of delivering a service and um, most years making a profit, maybe some years not. I mean, it's, it's stressful running those businesses. Um, but these big companies, I mean, I just... When you look at it, I mean, AT&T's profits, do you remember offhand what they were? Because like, <laughs> it's like, has this been fact-checked? Like, is that right? $100 billion, right? And uh, almost oh $100 God. billion? Dollars? Yeah, and I assume that's, I mean, because AT&T is now multiple business lines. So that's not like, so that's not like they're broadband profits, but like, right. nonetheless, like it's just $100 billion in profits. And the part that like, the reason that we wanted to write this is not to be like, um, you know, hey, let's grab our pitchforks and torches, but to say, how how absurd is it that like, we are showering these companies with uh, with uh, taxpayer dollars now, right? Like AT&T has received billions of taxpayer, or, or in that case, USF funds is what I'm referring to, which is public money, we could say rather than taxpayer dollars, because it's a fee uh, in that case. But nonetheless, like, I think it's really you know, it's worth considering if we have a totally broken system, if we're writing like, um, what is that? Uh, seven figure? No, that's a uh, 10 figure checks to companies who are then writing 10 figure and 11 figure checks to the stock market. Like, <laughs> it's, it's remarkable. 
Do we have uh, ILSR branded pitchforks and torches? Is that something we get when we get hired on? <laughs> Rye just invented our next fundraiser. Um, you know, and so uh, let me just say, if you think that we should do uh, branded pitchforks, you should donate an odd amount of money to ILSR.org slash donate and include in the note that we should um, do branded pitchforks and torches and see how our development people react to that. Cause I think they'd be pretty entertained, but make sure it's like some weird amount, like, you know, like $27 and 68 cents or something. So um, anyway, um, I, I think it's really important. And then that was followed by a story that I think we should connect that I haven't taken the time to, which is the compensation of like of uh, frontier executives, charter spectrum executives, um, the cable and telephone monopoly executives tend to be among the most highly compensated among CEOs in uh, the, of the, of the fortune 500 companies in the U S and that's pretty remarkable, I think, because you're also some of the most hated companies by their customers. Again, a sign that the market is broken. Yeah, definitely. A, um, especially in comparison to the, you know, the average wage of their average worker, right? And, and that's only been going up and up and up and up over the last 15 years. Yeah, and I'll say this. I mean, I, I always like to have a little bit of balance. <laughs> this should be my, my new slogan. Chris Mitchell, a little bit of balance. <laughs> The uh, you know Comcast seems like a, it's a pretty good place to work. It didn't used to be um, for people on the lower end, and I think the customer service representative still may not um, you know appreciate like me saying that Comcast is a good place to work. But like I feel like a lot of people that I know say that Comcast has really improved, um, and uh, that's true up and down the line more or less. Um, Charter Spectrum much less so. <laughs> So um, just throw that out there. I wanted to uh, run something by all of you. We've now been joined by Deanne Cuellar. Thank you for joining Deanne, our, uh, our outreach team lead. And I wanted to run this by you because I really think that you and I are pretty simpatico um, in thinking about this. And, and I know that you're not afraid to tell me when I'm wrong. I just wish it wasn't every time I open my mouth. People are noticing that the federal government is taxing the grants that it is giving to the uh, and the broadband subsidies to for-profit companies. And also some of the cooperatives are liable in certain uh, business arrangements that they have for taxing. And so if the federal government's giving you $100 to build broadband and then saying, give me $20 of that back, I think that's pretty dumb. Um, you know, folks uh, from American Enterprise Institute, for instance, and others say, this is a preference for municipal broadband and for cooperatives. And I'm sort of like, yeah, they're right. Like, am I wrong to think that we should fight against this? No, I don't think you're wrong. I, I think that one of the questions that we often get is what should I be doing to work on this issue? And we say, you got to talk to the decision makers. You have to get to them. And if people are paying attention, which they are right now, because they're calling it a waterfall, a watershed of federal resources, then this now needs to be added to your top line messages that this, this is a challenge. This is, this is going to be a huge challenge. And so there is, I, I hope that um, what we saw with mayors joining together to reach the national level of policymakers, I think we're going to see something similar to that. On this topic, then I, I'm curious, and I'll, I want to open up to Ryan, Sean too, because uh, I think this is something worth, you know, strategically talking about. Like, is it, is it strategic to say like the federal government is like prioritizing municipal and cooperative networks? Like, let's just let it go. Um, or should we, I mean, I, I think I'm a little bit OCD on some of the stuff. Like I want government to be, make sense. And so rather than just fighting for what gives us an edge, I kind of want policy to be rational and work, but I'm, I might be undermining our effort. 
Yeah, well, exp- explain, um, because I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, here we are complaining that AT&T and Comcast make too much money. The federal government's like, well, that's cool. We'll just tax them on all the money we're giving them. You know, is that a bad thing? Like, it's a terrible thing when it's a local company. Well, I, I think that the the taxing is one issue, but I think there's a second issue that is um, unfolding that could come out into the center and the mainstream soon is now that more people know how the federal government has given the decision to the states to make a lot of these smaller decisions at the local level, I think local communities are going to realize how little power they have to advocate for their work and their funding. And one way you're, we're happy that the federal government is loosening rules or making rules where we need them. But then like when it gets down to the state level, it's kind of like we lose that power. Because Uh, we're still getting overruled by the states. Right. So it's, it's like, it's like, thank you and no, thank you. Yeah. Now I'm curious, Sean, do you have any more of a reaction to the, this, this quandary about the, no, the I'm kind of, t- I'm kind of taking it all in. It kind of reminds me of, you know, don't, don't like uh, people that get unemployment benefits get taxed for that. I think they can. I suspect it has to do with like um, what their income is over the course of the year. Like if they have very little income, I'm guessing that it, it doesn't. But if they're, you know, if I got laid off and then I got um, a compensation for that, then I suspect I would have earned enough that I would be paying taxes back on it. I guess, you know, with one of the, we should probably talk to someone who knows what they're talking about, but like this is a <laughs> podcast. So I think we're statutorily prohibited from doing that. Well, I'm also wondering if the taxing, uh, the tax decision was made because they they saw how like some municipalities were taking the federal resources and putting them into savings. And maybe that's not what they planned on. One of the reasons I'm so hot and bothered, and I really think that the federal government should get rid of this tax, is because it comes from 2017. And for people who are interested, um, from Keller and Heckman's Beyond Telecom blog, forget what it is. I mean, if you're people don't know who Keller and Heckman are, you're doing something wrong, and you're listening to this show because their 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 news digests multiple times a week is is just killer. But Casey Lyde wrote about it. It was 2017. Republicans passed this tax bill. I remember watching it closely and I was horrified because it was uh, it was one of these things that both parties have been doing lately, which is rather than vetting legislation, what if we just like don't do anything for months and then we all get together and like and like a few people that are handpicked by leadership talk to lobbyists and a few stakeholders and then they come up with a bill and nobody gets to read it and we vote on it. Wouldn't that be a good idea? And like, and they started taxing co-ops. Um, they, and there's all kinds of things that they did that were screwed up. And one of the things that they did was a Republicans made it that broadband was taxable. Broadband grants were taxable. So this is a something that Congress changed about IRS regulations. Um, and so it wasn't really related to broadband at that time. And it was before these broadband bills. But um, now we're in a situation where because you know, Congress doesn't take his job seriously. Um, we're now uh, 20 cents on the dollar has to go back to the treasury for the broadband grants to, to for-profit companies. And again, to some co-op structures uh, and their partnerships. So I don't know, like, I just, I feel like it's worth talking about. I thought it'd be an interesting kind of weird little conversation. There's another thing that I'm curious about, because all, all four of us uh, think about um, our work with a racial equity lens and how to improve it. Um, and I don't know how many people have seen uh, my back and forth with Larry Irving the other night on Twitter. Um, Larry Irving, I think, is a, is a constantly a strong reminder that um, when I talk about how we should be giving money to the states and that we need local more local power, he's like, hey, that's pretty cool. That's how we got segregation. That's how we got Jim Crow. Like, it's, you know, there's a whole lot of 
problems with the idea of like states' rights. And I, you know, I never like being criticized or um, disagreed with. So like, it's always hard, but he's right. I mean, like he makes a good point. And, and I think it's something that, um, that we need to reflect on. Um, But I am curious about that because I also feel like there is no progress at the federal level on broadband that I can tell in part because of the FCC history. And I say that I don't want to upset people at NCIA who are doing a good job and have resources finally, but like historically, the federal government hasn't been doing a whole lot to help out the the poor, um, low income communities that are predominantly um, black families, um, you know, uh, Latino families, um, tribal families. So I feel like we should go to the local level. And I don't know if any of you have a reaction to that. I mean, it's just a reminder. And with, you know, with the with the tax on the broadband grants, it's a it's a especially good reminder that it kind of it kind of mixes um, two different things that are going together here. Right. And I'm not a, a a tax expert here, but you're taking what is essentially a, a policy decision. You're saying, here's how much it will cost to solve the broadband problem. And we're willing to expend tens of billions of public dollars towards that end. Uh, and then you're turning around and you're mixing it with this idea that we should tax these projects because they create a value that needs to be returned to the public good in some way. But we've already made the decision at the top that we get all these benefits from building these broadband networks. And they, you know, the return on investment there is not only monetarily, you know, more than one to one, but we get all sorts of other uh, benefits from improving our internet infrastructure. And so um, you're kind of mixing apples and oranges here. Anyone else want to tell me about fruit? <laughs> No, I'm just taking it all in. Worst podcast guest ever. I know, right? Yeah, I'm taking it. I'm I'm supposed to have some uh, hot take immediately. Um, But just thinking about states' rights and and kind of the the sordid history associated with that with that term and and you know some of the policies that have been put forward under that banner. You know, this is one of these things where I'm kind of getting lost in the nuances of. of, of Well, Sean, let me let me me put it to you directly then, right? Like a lot of us feel like the states have, um, for my lifetime, have been like more or less irrelevant, right? Everyone goes to the federal level to make policy. The state's kind of enacted a bit. It's kind of left over. Uh, Our work, you know, has been to say the federal government screwed this up so many times. We need to trust the states and we need the states to like learn how to walk. We need the states to like get active. Um, And that's betting on the idea that like we won't have states that are going to go out there and like screw over half their population or a quarter of their population or something. But I think we're going to see that. The question is, is like, is that better than seeing the federal government do nothing when we see some states rocketing forward and some states going backwards? You know, there were things there were things that they could, that they could have done at the federal level, like get rid of the you know the state preemption stuff, which would have prevented a lot of that kind of stuff. But I, you know, I think you have to kind of look at it as what you know is is what were the actual alternatives? It was like, are we going to do another RDOF, or is the money going to get closer at least to the localities that? really understand where the connectivity challenges are. So in that sense, handing it over to the states by and large, I think is probably better than what we saw with RDOF and some of the other uh, reverse auctions that the federal government has done. But it is an ideal in the sense that it would have been better actually if they had just sort of you know, establish these grant programs that that municipalities could directly apply for to the federal government. That would have been better. I agree. Yeah, because the when we're talking about black and brown communities and like very poor communities that really could benefit from this once in a lifetime opportunity for community infrastructure. There are just too many states that are not going to center equity. They're not going to, and I'm not going to name a state, but I could name a very big state that's already proving that. That's all around you. I mean, that's that's the question, right? When, when like you have an indifferent federal, when you have an indifferent state, more or less, or even a, even a, a negatively inclined state, perhaps for certain populations, and you have a federal government that's ineffective, like 
which is more likely to trickle resources out to the populations that need it? Well, also there's this other, you know, nuance or this other fruit, right? So if we're talking about apples and oranges is the, the digital discrimination work that has been kicked off, right? Fast forward, I think that they were like, well, we'll, we'll, we'll codify discrimination. That's great. But even if we codify discrimination tomorrow and that gets down to the state level, one is like, you have to prove that discrimination exists. And like, I'm sure Rye has like insight into the academia of this, but that's still kicking the can so far down the road that really the impact is going to be very little. And I'm a, I'm someone that's for to, you know, codifying digital discrimination. I'm just not sure like how much of an impact that's going to have on local communities down the road. Yeah. Well, these are the sorts of things we're wrestling with. If anyone came here for answers, um, we just give you some more questions maybe. And uh, we're going to cut it off there because I have to go talk to uh, uh, one of the lovely people that is making it possible for us to have uh, tribal broadband boot camps and talk with them about our plans. And so I don't want to be late for that. Um, thank you each for coming on and, uh, and chatting on an impromptu basis. As thank always, you, it's fun. Thanks for having us, Chris. Good to be here. Thanks. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ilsr.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.